first of all i'd like to thank you for doing this uh, on such quick notice as well welcome uh, not at all my pleasure i am i hear your podcast on a daily and frequent basis so i've heard all of your 12 episodes oh, so far thank you. so pleasure to come on uh so let's uh, i would like to start by asking this question because i i honestly think uh, fc goa is one of the best run clubs uh, in indian football and uh, to that end this season specifically how hard, how much harder was it than normal because of all the conditions and the protocols and difficulty in travel and all those things uh i mean yeah definitely it was hard uh, not from the perspective of it being uh, how should i put it just because it was the unknown really more than anything else you know there's a lot of new things that were that we were being faced with um uh, and you know sometimes when you face challenging circumstances you can always look at examples to try and see if they can give you guidance in terms of how to do it but given that this pandemic was completely unexpected un- and we were completely unprepared for and you know uh it just completely caught the entire world off guard uh it was a difficult challenge for sure uh to sort of you know put things into place and try and figure out the logistics of you know playing football in a pandemic etc and everything uh we were also i think in the peak season of uh, doing a recruitment overdrive where we tried to bring different players in across the world so the equation of trying to bring a player in no longer just involved uh you know money etc and everything it was like you know how safe is your country how many cases are there how soon can we come in uh, what is it going to be like will you even play the league uh, what sort of contracts what sort of clauses will be in your contract and things like that so yeah definitely challenging but definitely a very uh, good learning experience i would say uh, hopefully which we don't have to put to uh, use in the future yeah and what is more impressive is the fact that you had to basically reassemble the entire foreign lineup other than edubedia and uh, i i personally think you've done a phenomenal job in terms of recruiting the foreigners how much harder was that also because again like you said all these uh, unknowns that you were walking into uh i mean first <laughs> thank you for that uh the season is halfway through we're quite pleased with how we yet to demonstrate uh, but i'm sure that will come with time uh, juan is working with them on a daily basis and i think if you notice the performances you'll see steady this gradual improvements in how we play and there's minute details that are beginning to take shape which will make us a stronger team not just towards the end of the season but also in the future as well uh and in terms of recruiting the foreigners yeah it was definitely challenging in the sense that you know we had a new coach coming in so we had to ensure that we were aligned on what he wanted as well what sort of players he was looking for as well uh and obviously the entire pandemic uh, put into perspective also makes it difficult but at the same time i would say we weren't too faced by the opportunity uh, of you know having to replace the entire foreign contingent quite simply because we were very clear on what we wanted to do as a team you know uh even before we could bring juan on board we already started working on the foreign options uh, that were available in the market we'd been scouring multiple leagues across the world uh who we've identified as potential target markets and you know the names kept popping up so even when juan was signed on i think once uh, if my memory serves me correctly juan was signed on sometime mid april uh within say one week later uh, you know we gave juan once he got through to the understanding of you know how the club is structured etc and everything when we presented him with the first transfer target lists and you know the players who were on top of each of them he immediately signed off on each of them because he said yes these are exactly the sort of players we're looking for so you know that alignment was always there uh, because uh, we knew what we were looking for uh, juan knew what sort of football he wanted to play then it was just about you know um, dotting the i's and sort of you know crossing the t's over to ensure that we bring these players in uh, and that's and you know those the those players that that we sort of you know had at the top of our hit list so the ones that are playing for fc right now 
I think you sort of uh, answered some questions that I wanted to ask anyway, because a lot of the time, uh, some teams, and I don't want to name names at the moment, but some teams seem to sign players maybe not aligned to what the coach wants. Like for example, uh, Odisha, I'm just going to name drop now. So because, you know, uh, they have Marcelino and the coach probably doesn't think he's the right fit for that team. But they have a good player in Mauricio. Maybe that's why he prefers him. Uh, the defensive work and all that kind of things. So, for you, you just mentioned that you had already had the targets and then the coach signed on. So, how does it work? Like, uh, do you take cater to the philosophy, I mean, philosophy of the coach, the style of football that he wants to play? And do you, how much of that does play a factor in your decision? Yeah. I mean, Sandeep, I've always had this, um, and this is not just me. I think this is everybody who works within our our technical department as well, and also right from the ownership as well. The idea is that the club should have a pretty stringent idea and philosophy, right? Uh, the larger blueprint should always be in place for how you want to play. Um, because that is a result of you having to do the same job, what you do in the first team also has to be replicated in the lower teams as well, right? Your developmental teams, your under-18s, your under-15s, your under-13s, and so forth. So if we don't have that understanding in place of what we want to do, it's always going to be very difficult to, you know, because coaches might come and go, you never know what can happen. Um, football is a results-driven business. So if you keep chopping and changing without having a clear idea of what we want to do, uh, you know, we will always be a up and down club. It will never be a steady, consistent uh, uh, sort of, you know, supply line of, you know, what we want to achieve in terms of bringing players, developing players, you know, identifying the right foreign targets, etc. and everything. So, in terms of, uh, to try and answer your question as straight as possible, uh, we try and bring a coach in also who's more or less aligned with what we're trying to achieve, right? There are obviously minute tactical things that he will want to introduce, small tweaks that he might want to adjust within the team, uh, which obviously we're in thing with, but obviously we focused on a certain set of ideas and philosophies that we think should be the core of what FC was always known for. Irrespective of whether I am there tomorrow, whether the coach is there tomorrow, whether a certain player is there tomorrow, the team should be known to play a certain brand of football. Uh, and then based on knowing that we're going to play the certain brand of football, there's certain qualities you look for across the pitch, right? In certain players. Like, you know that your left back needs to do X, X and X. And that's when he fits into the FC Goa mold of a left back. He might have deficiency in point one out of three, but then that's our job to try and make sure that, you know, he fits into this and we, you know, develop that point uh, for that particular player, that particular attribute as well. So even when signing the player, it's a balancing act, you know, because the coach also has to feel a certain level of comfort knowing that, okay, this is a player I can work with. Uh, we also know that this is a player who we think will fit into India. Uh, so on-field is one thing. The other thing is the adaptability to a country such as India. Like, you know, a lot of the players that we bring in are from European countries where the lifestyle, uh, the entire society is quite different. So for them, it is a cultural adjustment that they need to make. So it's, it, it does involve a lot of discussions, you know, speaking to them, understanding them, their psyche, their families, knowing whether India would be a fit for them, how motivated they are to come and play here. Do they see this as a, you know, retirement opportunity or do they see this as an opportunity for them to sort of, you know, make a real impact? So we try and, you know, sort of take all of those things into account before we make a final decision uh, on which player fits. But obviously, the one thing that we do have very clear in our heads is what sort of player we're looking for. Uh, just to give an example, if FC Goa always signs a centre-back, if you notice, we are a team that like to build out from the back, which means we need to sign a ball-playing defender. So I'm not looking for your big, strong, 6-foot-10-inch players who can, you know, just lump the ball out at will. Uh, while that does have its own credit in a certain style of football, I don't think that will work for us because we need players who are comfortable on the ball, who are capable of taking the ball out from the back and, you know, breaking the lines to allow the midfield and the forward line to penetrate the opposition's defence as much and as frequently as possible. So, in that, we know what we're looking for. So, we you won't see us in the market for big, strong centre-backs who 
possibly might not be comfortable on the ball. If they are big, strong, but comfortable on the ball, then that's the ideal. But uh, we will always focus on certain characteristics in each position that we think would work better for us. Now, in terms of Indian signings also, I think you get a lot of them right. Like say, Jackie, he had a sort of a resurgence in Goa. Now he's, he's gone on to, I think, I don't know if they paid a transfer fee for him. I'm not completely sure. But uh, he's moved on. But he's definitely improved when he's moved on. In the same yeah. way, uh, you can see with uh, this year, Romario is doing very well. So uh, Lenny, when you brought him in, became a very integral part of that midfield. So your Indian recruitment is also quite uh, astute. So what, what are the things that you look for? Like how much, like the character and uh, football traits? Like what is, what is the balancing act over there? Uh, I, I mean, football traits are pretty simple and straightforward as well. It's the same process that we apply to the foreigners that we try and apply to the Indians. Uh, it's about, you know, how comfortable they're on the ball, what sort of a role they can fulfill within the team and trying to ensure that we play to their strengths. We always try and look for players who we think have that technical capacity uh, to be comfortable on the ball, more importantly. Because, I mean, ultimately, you have to bring players in who you think they will enjoy their game here, right? I mean, if you're, looking, if you're trying to bring in a big, strong, physical striker who uh, might not necessarily thrive uh, receiving the ball at his feet, then we know it's going to be an odd fit. Uh, if he likes running onto the ball, that might not be what FCO always does. We might put in a couple of balls behind but largely, we do build through patiently rather than just playing uh, out from the back straight up onto the striker and then, you know, try and go through on goal in position, uh, steady build up. So, in that sense, we always look for that. Uh, and in terms of identifying who is the perfect fit, I think it does come down a lot to the numbers game as well. Uh, because uh, this is one perception I've had for a very long time that the Indian football player market is a bit of a bubble where I don't think the numbers that are being paid uh, is actually in line with what the rest of the world is. It's quite simply because there's a, finite number, there's a finite number of players. So, obviously, their prices go through the roof because the demand is right now higher than what the supply is. Uh, therefore, you know, the numbers are just going through the roof. And the inflation is just, from my perspective, from personal opinion, I think it's unsustainable. Um, but unfortunately, that's the system that we find ourselves in. And, you know, we have to try and make sure that we sign... And bring in the best possible fits within what our limitations are as well. I, I couldn't agree more with you in terms of you know the market being and the same players are being recycled again and again. Uh, so yeah, it's great that you are breaking the mold and going uh, in a different direction. And also, I want to talk about the youngsters that you're bringing in. So a uh, few years ago, I was there when uh, the, your B team played in the I in the second division league match. Yeah, so, um, and in that team, I think there was Nawaz and there was uh, Yasir. Uh, I'm not sure if Liston was there, but Xavier uh, Gama, I think, was there. So, from that team, to see so many of them go on to do, you know, uh, break into the first team, so to speak. Maybe not everybody in your team, but in your team also, Princeton is coming this year. So, how, how much uh, does it please you that your youth system, however that you are you know, sort of trying to educate them in football is being successful, not just in your team, they can go out somewhere else and be successful there also. Yeah, I mean, two things there. I think one, a large chunk of the credit has to go to our technical director, uh, Coach Derek, uh, because he really does drill in uh, the fundamentals of the game into the player. 
you know he really does help them focus and fine tune their you know skills into you know more detailed things which can make real contributions on the pitch uh, so a large chunk of the credit has to go to him and also at that point in time we also had clifford as well who was responsible for that team we also had gavin who's responsible for our under 18s as well so you know these guys do a great job of building that platform where a player sub- consequently you know steadily he goes through from the under 18s to the reserves and then to the first team so they i think they've done a commendable job of building that bridge uh and the second one is you know are, are we pleased that these players are out there playing in the isl of course we're pleased uh quite simply because it's a validation of the fact that we're doing something right in the youth development uh but also it's not rocket science you know yes the skill of the coaches is undoubtedly there but i think one thing that we need to keep focusing on is at fc goa we do one thing uh we teach them how to play ball and when you play ball whether it is at goa or hyderabad or bengaluru etc as long as the system is conducive to you playing football you will always thrive right it might not always have to be at goa but if you're a player who knows how to play football you'll end up thriving so what we try and do is ensure that players if they leave goa uh, at least they go out there knowing that they know that they're comfortable on the ball and when a player is comfortable on the ball he's a valuable commodity uh, so that i think is one of the fundamental reasons why we also believe in playing a certain style of football and um, i think that is reflected by the fact that the players who move on for example if you see hyderabad team now there's listen there's yasir uh there's sweden as well who's in the reserve team who was also part, uh who's uh, who's in the reserves rather who was also part of fc goa these are all players who are comfortable on the ball you see sana as well at the back he also had the benefit of spending a few years at goa as well so you see these are all players who are comfortable on the ball and they're thriving in a different system under a coach who also preaches the same brand of football of you know being comfortable on the ball moving through the paces and steadily building up the pitch uh the pitch yeah so this is next question is something that i've always been uh, quite uh, interested in knowing it's sure. about signing the foreigners mm-hmm. so uh, how does that happen because a lot of the foreigners that we hear we see and things like that who have become successful here yeah. we don't really know much about them so uh, how does it go how does it work do you go through an agent or do you go through a scouting system or a mm-hmm. software or things like that just to find the right market and things because we knew coro yeah but the others we didn't really know the coro also people only knew because of the goal that he scored that saved espanyol so uh, how does yeah. so how do you go about doing that because there are a lot of foreigners that we see who come here and not successful or maybe are just looking like you know a payday at the end of the in uh, the end of the career and things like that so how do you go about that yeah i mean the foreigners is a very curious mix of how we identify each of them uh uh just because each one is come in very unique circumstances uh, what we do do though is try and look at as many for example uh, we have a system where we try and watch x amount of games for sure minimally about uh, each particular foreigner like for example i constantly try and watch segunda b and segunda in espania uh, to try and keep an eye on the players that are uh, applying their trade there similarly for example now that the asian market has become interesting thing for us because we are all mandated to sign in asia and about now uh, as well to just see how players are doing etc the last summer in lockdown i think i spent every mid afternoon watching all the elite games possible because that's what was on tv and you know it gave you a good opportunity to identify the talent and what it was there as well but i mean there's two big things here one is the network that you create uh and i don't pretend to be an expert in say south american football because it's not a market i have a big grasp of uh, what i do know is spain as a market and i can uh, you know sort of look deep there and identify players so we try and stick to our strengths as well 
uh, we will try and identify five or six countries where we think we can be strong in, where we have good networks and, you know, try and identify the best players possible uh, rather than look across the entire market. Uh, and even in the other countries as well, when the names come in, because there's always agents, there's other players, uh, there's um, other networks you might have through the coach might have his own network. So there is a big mix of a pool of talent that comes in. I mean, you know, when we're considering foreigners this year, I remember we had six positions to fill. Uh, sorry, rather we had five positions to fill. And there was close to 650 names that showed up on our tables. So sifting through 650 names, obviously, and going into details into each one is not possible. So, so you always do some reference checks. Uh, using a network, you speak to past players who might have possibly played with them, speak to other players who might be playing with you to find out and do some background checks for you. Uh, you ask the coach to dig into his network and see what he can extract in terms of information about each particular player. And obviously, we also try and watch them as much as possible. I remember this summer when we were trying to get Jorge Ortiz and Ivan Gonzalez on board, uh, they were still playing football up until the best part of June, July, because their team were both both their teams were involved in the playoff races uh, to get promotion. So we knew that they might possibly not sign up with us, but at the same time, it gave us an opportunity to see them close hand because we saw every single game of theirs leading up to the pandemic and then also post the pandemic when they were in the playoff places as well. Uh, so, yeah, so it, it is a bit of a huge mix. Uh, but what we try and do is go and secure players that we think will best work within our system. Uh, and we try and dig as much information about them as possible to ensure that we think they'll be a bright fit. Uh, and also, what is the key, yeah. key idea is that they fit into the dynamic of our team. You know, we know what sort of dressing room we have out here. Uh, so we know what sort of personality will fit into this. If you bring in someone who's very abrasive, uh, not particularly open to socializing, etc., I think we know it'd be a hard fit. So we're trying to identify those characters as well before bringing them on board, uh, rather than just signing based on a couple of performances that we might see on um, on on their past couple of games or in the highlights reel. Okay. So uh, one thing I just wanted to check again is you mentioned about the network that you created. So can I get a little bit of a background uh, about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you my biggest asset is the fact that I speak the Spanish language. Uh, I think that, uh, yeah. I've heard you speak. Yeah. yeah. So I think that goes a long way to bridging the gap because every time you speak to a player um, and he hears somebody speaking their language, automatically he's a little bit more at ease in a country which they mm-hmm. consider exotic still, uh, you know, uh, uh, between uh, sort of parentheses. So they always keep thinking that, okay, Goa is an exotic place, India is an exotic league. So how will life be there? Uh, we hear that there's cows on the road, that the roads are not paved. <laughs> and, you know, so to try and get rid of all of that stigma, uh, it helps when you speak the language. Mm. Uh, and I mean, that comes from the fact that I used to live in Spain uh, before I came to Goa. Um, and I spent uh, the best part of a few years living in England and Spain as well. So that's that's where the entire process began. Uh, and that's why I speak the language, to be honest. Um, and I was there. I actually, I'm actually a student of journalism. Uh, I graduated mm. with a post-journalism degree. And when I joined Goa as well, I joined as a communications executive more than a, as a technical sort of you know person. And then steadily, when the ownership changed hands, etc., and everything, uh, the current owners were gracious enough to trust me with more responsibilities, and that's how I steadily grew into the role of uh, where I'm sitting right now. So I think that that means if I learn, uh, hopefully, I'm trying to learn Spanish uh, through Duolingo. I don't think it's ever going to happen, <laughs> but. Uh, I'll be careful to make sure you don't come after my uh, job. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think uh, running a football club is way beyond me at this moment in time for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I just wanted to ask you other things also around the club because you've been there for a while. Goa has known for a 
like it's one of the football hubs and you have a great uh, you know uh, landscape or an environment there to develop football but at the same time when you are yeah. a new club coming into a system or a environment that already has you know uh, some of the greatest uh, clubs that india has seen like dempo salgaokar sporting all these you know historic clubs how difficult was it to break it into that space and make it your own because now you have an identity of yourself while yeah the i league clubs are not where they used to be but still to it's difficult to make it like the fans have always loved certain clubs right how difficult is it to start a new club and uh, be embraced by the fans like you have been yeah i mean there's two things that clearly stand out in my timeline as to you know trying to answer that question the first one was i had i was fortunate enough to be there under the previous ownership as well and i realized that fc goa was a team that was widely supported across the state mm-hmm. uh you know the one sentiment that i kept hearing back was the fact that you know when there was a dempo there was a salgaokar there was a sporting with so many teams that were around what one what it did end up doing was it ended up splitting loyalties you know like dempo had a certain set of supporters salgaokar had another set uh if you look at them in a broad perspective uh you know salgaokar was always the club from vasco da gama uh, dempo and sporting were more from the panjim side churchill brothers was always the team from the south from margao so you know there were always all these regional splits within the small state that goa is uh but somehow goa seemed to capture the imagination uh, uh, imagination of the entire audience where everybody came together in one room you know so you in an fc goa game it was very feasible to see a dempo fan and a salgaokar fan sitting next to each other but both wearing the same blue of goa which it was back then right uh, it was i think the the way that the brand was built out was um, uh, that it was basically encapsulating all of goa into one sphere and the fact i think what helped was the team was successful in the first couple of seasons uh the first season obviously the team was languishing uh, at the halfway stage i think in the bottom half and then the team went on a run where they made it all the way to the semi finals and you know only lost in a penalty shootout and then the following season under zico i think was a vintage where you know the team basically swept everyone through uh picked up some big wins along the way and then went to the final in goa I think the second biggest factor that second biggest thing in my timeline was the fact that the likes of Dempo Sporting Churchill Salgaokar all also backed out at one point in time uh, when they stopped playing in the I league so uh, by design in a in a way that you know sort of they also took a back seat uh, and when somebody takes a step backward without anybody else having to move or even if they make one step forward it automatically feels like you move two steps forward because somebody else has gone two steps back right so then goa was left as the only real reference point for a team that was playing at the level that you know everybody wanted to come and attend and watch matches etc and everything even now as well these teams continue to be active and do great work in the goa pro league and the youth development sectors but they're not really in the national limelight i would say uh, and when they come back in i'm sure they'll be again strong powerhouses of indian football that they always have been and should be Yeah, absolutely. I think that the Dempo team under uh, Armando Colasso is probably the best that we've seen from India in some some respect, I guess. So uh, another thing is your youth development plans, which you just mentioned. Now I heard from someone uh, that sort of dissolved the very small age 
group and have decided to and if so can you explain the process because i think you want them to have more matches and then come into the goa system the goa system later on yeah i mean see the way we sort of try and understand the game and development is that if you try and limit uh, the number of players you train at a younger age so when we look at the younger age we mean the age of 6 to 12 there as many should be playing as possible rather than us focusing on a select 50 60 and saying okay these are going to be 50 60 because then the probabilities of players becoming uh, professionals reduces so the age groups of between 6 to 12 we try and focus on a broad base and try and build up as many players as possible and give an opportunity and platform to as many players as possible therefore play more it's more about playing more and learning from the game rather than coaching them the minute details and everything you know because they don't need tactical instruction and so at that point uh it's more about them enjoying the game and feeling like they have a real affiliation to the game and there's certain things that can't be taught you know sometimes for example a player will learn to dribble by himself even if you don't teach him you know the craft on does not need to be drilled into a player what does drilled into need to be drilled into players the positioning on the pitch uh, when to press when to come back but all of that happens at a much uh, older age group when you know they're a little bit more mature and understand the game a little bit better and you know have a reference of what the entire game is all about you know the time space the ball all of that um so that's why at the foundation level which is the age of 6 to 12 we try and focus on uh, giving more opportunities to players and then that is when we sort of start identifying the cream of the crop and the talent to then be moved into our under 13s uh, or the under 14s depending on the goa pro league and so forth and then the under 16s and then the under 18s and then the reserve team and then the first team so those teams will always continue to stay consistent because that is when we create that you know that is when the platform uh, basically opens up and the pathway opens up to the top uh but at the base level if we were limiting ourselves to very few numbers say training only 60 kids in the north 60 kids in the south because we also do have limited resources in terms of how many coaches we can put together uh we were just be shooting ourselves in the foot and depriving players of an opportunity who might be interested in the sport but don't have the opportunity to do so so at the base level it's always about generating interest allowing them to enjoy the game and then after it's about fine tuning their skills to try and you know fit into a certain style of football Yeah I think that's a great way to go about things because especially over the course of the podcast I've been able to speak to a few coaches and things and one of them was Richard Hood who was who was uh, obviously formerly with the AFF and things he was always talking about giving more opportunity to play at the development stage so that they can find solutions and you know enjoy the game at that time because more minutes means uh, better players in the future and yeah. more and more we see clubs who are giving you know like you said eight year olds nine year olds are in different academies and they play maybe 15 to 20 games this season as opposed to 40 50 60 that you need to have that many games no i couldn't agree more i mean you know what richard says is uh, does make a lot of sense as well and if you look at some of the other countries where for example if you look at uruguay uruguay is a great example of a country where you know they produce consistent talented players that go right to the very top as well they have a baby league system as well where a kid who's at the age of 6 or 7 can get through 60 games 70 games in a footballing season um they're not full sided games they're just small 6 7 aside games or, uh, uh, and so forth it does not have to be a grass stuff it can be an artificial it can even be on a baseball uh, sorry on a, a basketball court right but it's still the opportunity to play because there's no better way to for you to learn than by experience and by being actually involved in the game if you tell a boy if you tell a boy to stand and kick the ball against the wall 100 times he'll be able to kick the ball against the ball 100 times that's not a problem but if you try and tell him to do the same thing in a game and say find that pass that is going to split uh, two defenders he won't be able to do it because he's not been put in that situation 
I think players best evolve when they're put in situations where they have to learn to adapt to that situation and circumstance. And then the solution comes to them a lot more naturally. And those are really gifted players who can, you know, create most, more than one solution out of one simple scenario. Yeah. Finding solutions themselves on the field. Yeah. Uh, so, Champions League. Congratulations. First team to play the Champions League from India. How big a goal was that? And now that you've achieved it, how much of a daunting task was it to set up a squad for that level of football? Which, to be fair, India is still a little behind in terms of the Champions League level. I mean, it was a huge uh, target of ours uh, because when we sat down with the the co-management of the club along with the owners and Akshay, who's obviously always ever omnipresent in all the discussions and, you know, he takes a keen interest on the day-to-day running of the club. Uh, one of the big targets that we set out was we wanted to get into the Champions League, uh, you know. And at that point, India did not have a, sp- a spot in the Champions League. So, we were aiming at saying, okay, six, seven years down the line, we want to be in the Champions League, you know, steadily when India's coefficient ranking goes up and there's a doorway and a pathway to getting to the Champions League. Uh, and our objective was to try and be in the in the Asian competition. So, at that point, what was the AFC Cup? Uh, and then when the opportunity opened up, obviously, the big focus was on, you know, trying to ensure that we get into the Champions League as much as possible. So, I think we had a squad that was capable of doing so. Uh, and I think we've had a very good squad for the past three seasons as well. I mean, if you look at the likes of players who are now not with FC Goa, playing for the other teams, the strength and depth of FC Goa squad in the past three seasons, I think, was scary, uh, if I may put it that way. Uh, because every position was backed up by a certain amount of players who are now natural first level starters in the other teams. So, we knew that we had to be competing to be right up there. Uh, and obviously, this was something that we wanted to focus on. And getting into the Champions League was a huge achievement for us. Uh, a big question that kept popping up through the last season's league stage course uh, was, would you rather take the Champions League or would you rather take the Cup home? Uh, from a personal perspective, I always said I would rather take the Champions League. Uh, but from a fan sentiment perspective, it was always the Cup. Uh, but yeah, for us, the Champions League was a huge, huge motivation. And we were very proud and very happy with the team when we did get into the Champions League. And yeah, the preparation for it, I don't think it has sunk into a lot of the team and the squad and the general atmosphere yet, just because of how the pandemic's played out and everything, about what it is to be in the Champions League yet. Uh, quite simply because I don't think anybody's ever tasted that level of football. Uh, it is a hugely daunting task because the teams that are going to be coming up, there are going to be coming up with a lot of quality. Uh, we are going to have to really dig our heels in to try and get results out of those matches. But it's an experience that will stand these players in good stead. You know, um, I think six games in the Champions League can go a long way to teaching each of us uh, what is the required level uh, to be the very best in Asia. And it can also sort of identify and show us the gaps that exist between what we want to achieve and where we are and where we would like to be, say, in five, six years' time, which is where, you know, to consistently be playing in a level of that, uh, of that competition. Okay, now some quick-fire questions. And the first one, I know some of the reasons why you let go of Lobera, so I'm not going to go into those things. Yeah. But uh, when Lobera left and uh, a bunch of your players left with him, yeah. what was the feeling in the club? Like, did you, because you had to go back and restart and redevelop, and, and obviously Peña retired, who was a leader in the team. Koro decided to leave, and he was also another one of those leaders, and the main foreign recruit, and Bumu, although you made a good money out of him. So, how was that at that moment to the daunting task of rebuilding independent, having lost the stable side that you had for the last two, three years? You know what? Actually, we were quite excited by the task um, because 
I'll tell you this. Last season, when we were looking at our squad, we were thinking, you know, do we have one last season left in this squad or does it need refreshing? Uh, because sometimes what can happen is when the same idea is the same system, the same players are there and you've achieved quite a bit, which the last spot, consistent run to the semifinals. You know, there can be a loss of motivation sometimes when players feel like, okay, you know, we've done it all, we've achieved it all. So sometimes a refresh in the squad is needed. Uh and the second thing was we also wanted to show as a club that we are capable of, you know, that the club is bigger than anybody else. That we are capable when we want to of bringing the right players and accept and everything. So, it's not that FC was a one-trick pony. You know, got it right once, will we'll not get it right ever again. So, it was a challenge that we took on with open arms and said, okay, you know what? We want to show that we can bring players in. That there are replacements around the world. Goa is not about the seven, eight players who played for three years. Who did an outstanding job of representing the club and defending the uh, the badge, no doubt about it. But we did want to show that you know we are we are a club who can identify talent and bring players in, and that we can continue to be successful regardless of who sits in that coaching position or who sits in the director of football position or who sits in the players um, spot in the starting eleven. Uh, ultimately, the club always has to be bigger. Uh, players will come and go, individuals and personnel will come and go, but the one thing that will remain supreme is always the club. Yeah, that's uh, actually exactly what I expected to hear also. So, I'm just going to say a few names. Uh, okay. You can say what he means, that person means to the club. Uh, let's start with Zico. Uh, I think the first icon who sort of, you know, put go on the footballing map, uh, not just in India, but also at a larger level uh, on a global perspective as well. Uh, Koro. Uh I mean, as a professional, I don't think I need to say much uh, because everybody saw his accolades and everything that he did on the pitch. But off the pitch as well, he was a very reserved character. He was not an extremely open person, but he was an outstanding person. Uh, you know, very warm, very humble, very open-hearted. You know, he gave more than he ever got to everybody around him, never turned down anything. A very patient man. Uh, gem of a person is how I'd put it. Derek Pereira. Uh, one of the one of the four sort of pillars on which the club's success sits on. So, which are the other three? Uh, the ownership, uh, because without them and uh, yeah. their vision, obviously, there's no structure. Uh, the first team, because that is exactly what everybody sees in the limelight, etc., and everything. And the last one being the fans. Of course, without whom, no matter how successful a club you are, if you don't feel their backing, sometimes people can lose motivation because you don't feel like your work really matters. Um, a coach who allowed us to build the foundation that we are now starting to be, build the next uh, steps on. And Fernando? The coach who's been entrusted with the responsibility of building that first floor that uh, we want to get to. Uh, uh, and, you know, sort of bringing more... Tactical now into what the team would like to do uh, going forward, not just now, but in the future as well. Okay. So, uh, the, I know you have to uh, rush back, I think, another five minutes or so. So, I just wanted to ask you, like, what are the most satisfying moments that you've had? Uh, because you've been with the club, a lot of ups and downs, uh, especially that final where you had to, you know, go all the way to 117 minutes. And the one thing that Jackie, Jackie Chandran, I was speaking to him, told me was, that uh, I, we had to work the whole season and 117 minutes and uh, to lose that and then come back next year not knowing if they can get back to the same space and things like that. So, 
tough moments good moments what are the best one for you uh i mean the standout moment from 5 years of being with the club would have to be obviously making the champions league last season um just because i remember when uh, sort of you know we moved on from sergio and his coaching staff in i think it was the last week of january there was a lot of backlash against the club uh, you know for reasons that we obviously didn't want to divulge in public spaces etc and everything and you know uh, you know so we were at a point where we couldn't really open our mouths and thing and you know while we like to be accountable to everybody within the space this was not an opportunity where we we could do so uh, and therefore we you know sort of basically had to just swallow it all in and then for the team to go out and perform the way they did in those three matches because when uh, we moved on fc go was still second in the table and atk was i think a couple of points on above us uh, so we were still the chasing pack technically we were still not uh, assured a spot uh, and then it was up to us to put the pressure on atk for them to then see whether they sort of you know drop off somewhere and i think i remember the first game we played after moving on when um, coach derek and clifford took over the team was against hyderabad uh and when hugo put that goal uh into the back of the net a scrappy goal from a corner uh, that landed at his feet and he just smashed it into the back of the net he came running to the bench and you know you felt like okay you know there something was going to happen and then you know we blew them away and then i think hugo that day was a uh, different beast altogether he went on to triple pass five hyderabad players before putting him in the back of the net uh and then the second most important point i will remember is the game against jamshedpur where we were sort of you know a little bit nervous i was personally nervous because i knew that fc was a club we don't like to do things the easy way we always try and find the hardest route possible to our final destination and i was thinking you know all we needed was a draw to basically get a point uh, sorry to get into the acl spots but i was just a little nerves or a little jangling jamshedpur were beginning to sort of you know put a couple of corners together and then once we sort of opened the floodgates then you know that level of satisfaction that went in but undoubtedly the memory that will stay with me will always be though this ended up being a losing effort was the second leg semi final against chennai in last season when within the space of 20 minutes uh, we were back to uh, having lost the first leg 4-1 we were at 4-2 and i remember that feeling when fal scored the goal and how the stadium erupted i think that will still i mean i have goosebumps on my hands right now as i speak to you about it i remember thinking the belief that was going through that team i was thinking this team does not believe anything is impossible i remember koro telling us on the uh, on the flight back from chennai uh, after we lost the first leg 4-1 he was like wow i can already imagine an orgasm based on the comeback that we're going to make in goa so you know that for me was a standout point because this team had belief and that is something that we're trying to build and instill into our players as well and that is will always be a reference point for me is thinking you know the players really packed themselves in thinking that no matter what the lead no matter how high a mountain it was surmountable and they would be able to achieve it yeah, i have to say to be honest that uh, that game was crazy i think in between the two of you you scored 11 goals in two games i think yeah. all together uh, and even this year you mean if you listen to the podcast i keep saying goa makes it harder for themselves than to go and win because you guys go concede a goal and then how many times two three times you've come back scored late uh, angolo scored twice i think we picked sure. up about 13 points from a losing position now yeah yeah so that belief is built into the team and this is my and so i don't really support any team from isl as such but uh, sort of have a soft corner for goa because i think you guys do a really good job uh, in terms of how to run the club and 
uh, hopefully you can maintain this mentality in the team forever i'm also happy with the way you guys run the youth systems also and the more power to you for that so is there anything you want to let the, the people listeners know about uh, what plans in the works and things like that for the club um i mean there's lots of plans in the pipeline you know we're trying to work with red bull as much as possible trying to you know sort of lean on their support in terms of knowledge and understanding of the game and how they do things and trying to you know basically move ourselves to the next level and we're not just talking about you know membership is not just to so sign players as such and say okay send me a couple of your players and we'll resolve our short term issues and try and you know get a goal scorer who'll score 20 goals and then we move on it's more about them helping us and teaching us how to keep what we've started going sustainably and consistently uh we are a club that want to continue to do smart business uh and be a sustainable club you know you don't you shouldn't rely on an individual or a group or a company funding you to keep going if we become a sustainable club i think that is when we've hit uh the biggest milestone that there could possibly be because then that means no matter what the brand will remain alive irrespective of who's there and who's not there so i think that's a big target that we're aiming towards um it's not an easy target it's definitely a challenging one but uh if you ask me last season would you be playing the champions league i would have said no and guess what we are playing in the champions league so never say never to anything always try and find a solution and try and work as best within the limitations that you have around you for your time this was wonderful uh, i got a lot of insight about the way you guys run the club and uh, more power to you and all the best to you as well thanks sandeep my pleasure